What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Mintz. And I'm Jordan Schusterman. And we are the hosts of Baseball Barbacast. And we are so excited to be back recording a podcast together Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for the 2024 Major League Baseball season. I am so excited for this year, Jake. Yeah, we are here with Yahoo Sports. Our time off of podcasting has weighed on me heavy. I've been delivering baseball takes to inanimate objects. So I'm rearing to get back to talking ball with my buddy. So join us on Baseball Barbercast. We're going to have a good time. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. This is our Rookie Snapshot Series, Episode 1, Running Backs. I am Liz Loza and I am very pleased to welcome our Yahoo Sports NFL Draft expert, Mr. Eric Edholm. Welcome to the show, Eric. Yeah, doesn't even feel like a year has passed. Feels like 10 years have passed since our last one in the the 2020 draft. Things have changed quite a bit in both of our lives, but uh, all of our lives. But no, this is exciting. I, I like this, and I thought it was a great idea you came up with last year. More than happy to run it back. Well, thank you. And you, who have been covering college sports and our NFL uh, draft prospects have had quite a different year. Do you want to talk about that before we get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, actually, and explain how, in ways that you had not even anticipated, 2020 was different and how it's posed particular challenges in the um, scouting process this year? Yeah, I mean, just starting with the, you know, the cancellation of games, obviously, certainly, you know, hurt several prospects, eliminated seasons for a lot of guys even, but, um, you know, delayed seasons, shortened seasons, you know, it was it was really tricky from a tape evaluation standpoint, because a lot of times we're looking at 2019 tape and putting more weight on that than we normally would. And, you know, just talking to scouts, you know, there were guys who said, I can't go to the team's facilities. I can't do the legwork I normally do. Uh, I can't do the background checks I normally do. Uh, You know, I go to games and I sit at home and watch tape, you know. So I sort of, you know, felt their pain and understood their struggle and the combine not happening this year. As you know, that's where all the the juicy details come out. That's where, you know, we find out how the sausage is made, what the draft secrets are, and, you know, kind of get some of the insider scoops. So I feel a little less informed on which teams like which specific prospects this year. It's a little more guesswork um, and the testing times maybe are a little inflated with pro days, but basically it's the same job with a few obstacles thrown in there. Yeah, generous stopwatches on pro days for sure. Uh, But also because there's more, as you say, guesswork, we also have more space to be forgiven (laughs) for not being totally spot on, right? Uh, I blame that. Absolutely. I'm going to roll with it that way. So let me explain the rookie snapshot rookie snapshot concept a little bit to our listeners. If you weren't here last year, this is something we kicked off, Eric and I did. Um, and we're basically going to break down the biggest prospects in the NFL draft, the most buzzed about, five at every position, and then we'll have a special wild card episode because a couple of the positions are so deep and because there is such mystery surrounding this year. We're going to give you scouting reports. We're going to discuss fantasy fits, some hot takes probably, um, and how we expect that these players will perform at the next level. And that is going to take place every Thursday this month up until the NFL draft, which is on the 29th of April. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to kick things off with the running back position because if we're speaking from a fantasy perspective, and obviously this show is, uh, that is the position most likely to immediately ROI. Who can forget Jonathan Taylor, right? Breaking onto the scene in the second half of last year. And maybe some of y'all are still waiting on Zach Moss. I'm not, but I know some of y'all do still have high hopes. We'll see what Buffalo does. We are going to kick it off, though, with a prospect that is my number one running back heading into April. Eric, I think he's your RB1 as well. It is Najee Harris out of Alabama. This, This prospect is not just big, 
in terms of his size, but also his story. He was raised by a single mom, Tiana Hicks. He endured homelessness, an abusive father, um, grew up. Well, I mean, homelessness, he ping-ponged around to a lot of different places, but went to high school uh, at Antioch High School, which is San Francisco's East Bay area. He committed to Alabama and continued to defy the odds, I guess. He was a four-year starter for the Crimson Tide. He shared the backfield with Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs and Bo Scarborough, remember him, his freshman year. Um, in 2019, which was his junior year, Harris became the official starter, and he closed out his college career at Alabama as the Crimson Tide's all-time leading rusher. For reference, that means he beat out Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram. Oof. All right. It's a lot, right? Yeah, Najee Harris is a special player, and he, you know, the the one word that kind of comes to mind with him is that physicality that he brings, and, and it just, you know, we, we saw it as a freshman. We saw it early in his career. This was a guy who can run people over, but I think as time went on, you saw him evolve as well, but he never lost that physicality either. I mean, that was that was really the, the exciting part of his evaluation is that he didn't try to become a finesse back or change who he was, so I, I love that aspect about him. Yeah, he runs with this to me, I think he runs with an urgency, but it doesn't look like he's scrambling. It doesn't look like right. he's nervous. Um, I wrote chill down in a lot of my notes. My <laughs> big one word was producer, because as I mentioned a little early, you can't deny how productive this player has been. And to your point, how he hasn't slowed down. Um, also, like just strong as hell, like hyper athletic, yeah. the hurdles, the spin moves, the balance to stay on his feet. Um what else really stands out to you about his athletic profile and playing style? Yeah, it, it really is how he evolved as a, as a running back in the receiving game. I mean, you know, early on when he was, you know, with the, uh, you know, the other Harris and with Josh Jacobs, I mean, he was kind of the third down short yardage guy. Yeah. He was the first down pummel the defense kind of guy. And then he'd go take a rest. Didn't really catch the football that much. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you know, I didn't think he could catch it. I assumed that, you know, Nick Saban is a coach to your strengths coach, right? I mean, he mm -hmm. does what players do well, but I think he had that natural ability. And I think behind the scenes, he really worked on his route tempo, his route running, his hands, you know, all that, just his third down value. He wasn't even a great pass blocker early in his career, but he stepped that area up as well. Um, and I, it just sort of felt like he morphed into this complete back. I, I have total egg on my face for two years ago, suggesting that he may not be in a great NFL fit. Yeah, well, I've got a first-round grade on him. So I think we've I've, <laughs> I've, I've come full circle on that one now. Okay, and, you know, you're mentioning his ability as a pass catcher. It's not just the hands and the route tempo, but also the catch radius. Like, he can snag yeah. and pluck um, much more than you would anticipate a running back, uh, particularly one with, like, his power can mm -hmm. do. Um, is there a stat that you really liked or you think illustrates – so much of what he's done that makes him special. Yeah. And again, you mentioned he was sort of in a, a timeshare situation. Alabama has a, a host of running backs every year, it seems like. But in his first 25 college games, 10 catches, 52 yards, zero touchdowns. Basically a last ditch check down guy, you know, Tua or whoever would throw it to him when there was a sack impending or something like that. Didn't really feature him at all in that way. In his final 26 games, basically the same body of work, he had 70 grabs, 72 or 729 yards, seven, uh, 11 touchdowns. Excuse me. So let me give that again. 70, 729, 11. So we're talking about a guy, like you said, you know, the body control and the yards after the catch ability was something that, again, I never thought he had. But uh, 2019 really showed out in that way 2020 took it even a step farther so really impressive to see you don't see backs evolve quite like that I don't think and we have uh I would say we have a couple with two of them to talk about that that evolved we're starting with one and ending with one um and the thing I also when I mentioned his background I think that determination needs to be discussed with this with yeah. this player because he did you're right. It is odd to see an evolution in play of, at this position, but he did it. And he also, I just, he navigated such a tough childhood and was able to overcome that I, I am willing to imbue part of his on the field playing style with some of what he experienced personally off the field. For me, the stat that I found that 
gave me a bit of a wow factor was that he has 163 first down touchdown runs, which made him one of only two running backs, the other's Jarrett Patterson, since since 2019 to clear 160. So wow. that gives yeah. you an idea of his power, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, somebody who can continually move the chains. I mean, he's not a home run hitter as a runner, really. I mean, he doesn't have that that third gear. No. But if you could run at 10 yards a clip or whatever, <laughs> I think you've got a job in the NFL. And, you know, that determination, you mentioned it. Josh Jacobs had a very similar, you know, tale growing up. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, living in hotels and, and you know, motels, cars, cars, whatever you could live in. With, you know, same thing. So I think you could you could see his style and see Najee Harris's style and see some overlap there. There is some debate about the O-line that he ran behind, right? Like, it was pretty elite. That opened up holes for him. So maybe those numbers are inflated. That should adjust at the next level. There's some debate about his pad level as well. So how did you – it's a bit high. Might invite injury. He's, you know, um, he is uh, 6'2", after all, 230 pounds. Um, How did you weigh all of those things in giving him the first-round grade that you mentioned? And can you talk about the grading scale, which we are going to highlight throughout the series? Yeah, I gave him a 6.06, and I use a little bit of a different grading scale. To be truthful, it's kind of an old-school scale that I learned from a scout who's now retired, and he kind of you know, showed me how he went through the process of you know, putting a, a quarterback next to a linebacker and having to give them sort of tantamount grades, I guess. And so it's a tricky thing, and it's, it's taken me a while to kind of get it down. But um, if you think of it in tiers, that's a good way to um, – so basically a 6.06 means – He's expected to come in and, and, you know, contribute right away as possibly as a starter, most likely uh, in some sort of feature role. Um, And you're right. I mean, when you play at Alabama, you have most likely a great quarterback, at least two good receivers, uh, a defense that sets you up in great position and an offensive line that features multiple draft picks every year. I hate to hold that against kids because, you know, certainly isn't his fault, right? Uh, but in the same way that you have to look at a talented running back behind a bad offensive line, there is a weight in there where you say to yourself, how many times could you drive a bus through the hole he was running through, right? Or is he kind of creating on his own? And I felt like his short yardage, inside running, his creativity improved over time. You could see him spotting windows, whereas in the past, maybe they closed up or he didn't notice it or things like that. So you know, I, you try your best to kind of not weigh it too heavily, but not ignore it. And who might you comp him to, Eric? Yeah, I guess I'm probably showing my age a little bit when I use this comp. I, I've had, I, in fact, for this series, I've got a couple that turn back the clock mm-hmm. a little bit, but I was struggling. You know, you and I were chatting the other day, yeah. trying to figure out who who he reminded us of, and I liked your comp, and I, you know, but we couldn't really quite figure it out. But Deuce McAllister for the Saints, kind of an underrated player, too. And he he sort of tailed off right as they were becoming a great team in 2006. So a lot of his work was done before they were a great team. But that that combination of sort of, you know, loose hips, powerful, big frame, but also that receiving ability as well, you know, runs with determination. He was he was sort of a guy that popped into my head, even though, you know, that they're probably you have a good one, too. I like yours as well. Thanks. Well, mine, mine is, I'm, if you're showing your age, I am showing my um, hometown biases <laughs> because to me, he looks a lot like Matt Forte. And yeah. again, the pass catching, the ability, the catch radius, um, the, the, Matt Forte, I think, is 6'1", so a little bit, a little, not quite as big as, right. as Harris, but still has that... Um, bit of an upright running style, but the catch radius that you've, you ele- you f- make... Uh, you'll allow the upright running style because of the catch radius, right? Like there's a, a borrowing from one to get the other. And so I, I like him a lot. To me, he reminded me very much of Matt Forte, but I like yours as well. Where are you projecting him to land? It's a great question. You know, running backs, obviously from an NFL draft standpoint, we these days may get one. I hear two. they don't matter. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, they don't matter, right? Exactly. <laughs> you're you're becoming one of the club now. You're you're becoming an indoctrinated member here. Um, yeah, it, I, there's this whole question about first round value, but I think for the case of special backs, especially in the later end of round one, those are mostly second round talents. Most teams only have 15 to 20 true first round grades on their board. I think he has a chance to creep into the back end of round one, early round two, and the team that I'd love to see him personally with. I don't I don't know it'll quite work out because they have other needs, but. 
Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I suspect they're going to move on from James Conner. You know, you kind of need that. I don't particularly love Benny Snell, even though I like his style and, and I thought he'd be a better player coming out of college. I've, I've maybe soured on him a little bit. I know they took McFarlane, who's a little bit of a different player, but he just seems like a Pittsburgh player. And I could see him being, a, you know, a, a, a legend there. <laughs> I, mean, I could see him absolutely being beloved by the Steeler faithful. And, you know, I think they have a need at the position. I I think it makes sense. Um, It is interesting because Pittsburgh has, after free agency especially, all the holes to fill. There's a lot of rebuilding to do. So they could be all over the board. Um, I do have them getting a running back, though. It's not Harris. Instead, I am, and this isn't just about the reunion with Tua. Would love to see him go to Miami. Um, Miles Gaskin, I mean, clearly Coach Flo wants his running back or is willing to have a workhorse running back who can, who is the RB1 and does not sure. live in some sort of RBBC, right? And Miles Gaskin touched the ball an average of, my goodness, 17 times per game. Miles Gaskin did, you know? And then when he went out, the other Husky, Sylvan Ahmed, you know, was the RB1 with no questions asked. So I think that especially when given the exposure that Coach Flo had over uh, the Senior Bowl practice time and the kind of truncated, weird season that we've had in terms of exposure or ability to expose yourself. That matters much more. Uh, Maybe there was more emphasis placed on the Senior Bowl. And so I I would like him to land in Miami. And if he did, by the way, I think you're right that he can make an immediate impact. I would definitely draft him. I think he'd probably be a second round, uh, probably a second round pick for fantasy managers likely to earn himself 15 to 17 touches per game immediately. Yeah. And, and, you know, back to the Tua angle, when we talked to Tua, we did a, view, a video with him uh, last month. I don't know if you saw it. He didn't mention the – I mean, we asked him about all his teammates coming up for the draft and everything. The one player he specifically said, like, wink, wink, I hope I get mm. to play with him, is Najee Harris. So the Ooh. connection there is obvious, and it's something that, that you know, easily could happen. Do I think it happens in 18? I don't know. But it, it, right. it certainly is a, a pairing you could see. Well, there's Devonta Smith hanging out to another potential reunion, but we'll get to him in the wide receivers episode. Let's move on to another running back. It's Javante Williams out of North Carolina. Um, interesting because there are two running backs coming out of North Carolina that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about, but we're going to talk about Javante Williams first. And he is a North Carolina native. Uh, he was an award-winning two-sport athlete at Wallace Rose Hill High School. In 2016, he won the Bulldogs a state title in the 4 by 100 meter relay, so a track star. And then his senior year, he helped the varsity football squad secure their fourth straight uh, state championship. And he scored a 73-yard touchdown in the game's first play of that contest. So his uh, his ability has been known for much time. But despite that, he... Oh, and here's a fun fact I liked about him. He was also, I believe, his high school's valedictorian, which is interesting. So this kid wow. seems to have it all. But despite that, he did not see receive much attention uh, throughout the recruiting process. And in fact, UNC was the only FBF's offer that he received. Not surprisingly, that's where he committed and he continued to surprise despite sharing the backfield with Michael Carter, who we're going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah. This is why I love doing the draft because, you know, you'll have all the, you know, there are plenty of five-star prospects that we end up reviewing and will be first-round picks and all that. It just seems like they were destined for greatness from high school. But then there are stories like Williams where, I'll be honest, I didn't know anything about him. I mean, I knew the name, but I didn't know a thing about him. Hadn't watched any of them. I knew Michael Carter coming into the year, his teammate. Mm. But, you know, early on you started saying like, wow. Who is this dude? And there was at least one or two highlight real plays per game. And um, most of them involved some sort of, I don't know, physical aggression. Yeah. So my, the, the, the one word that came that into my head was he's just a bully out there. Like, I think this is a guy who may be taking his frustration from high school recruiting mm-hmm. uh, lack of attention out on his opponents now. Go watch the Miami tape and you'll just feel bad for the Hurricanes defense because... He put on a show, and so did Carter. He was a fun, fun watch this year, even though it came with some anger, like I said. The the same or that violent running style. I mean, that pops. I thought the same thing initially when watching his. I wrote level up because he is always finding a way to get to the second level. He is relentless with it. And yes, he's a power back, but he's also really, really elusive in addition to being big and strong and physical. And he has this incredible contact balance because of his low center of gravity. He's 5'10 and 220. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That contact bounce. That is the, that was probably the first phrase I wrote down when I started watching them this fall. And it's like, he just pinballs off attack attempts, you know, and I know in the NFL, we're talking about like elite, elite athletes and he's not going to have as much success doing it, but there are some guys who just have the knack to be difficult to tackle. And like the, the more squarely built you are. And as long as you maintain Mm -hmm. that speed, like Williams has, I just find those guys to be very, it's like tackling a mailbox, right? And it really is. Like we talked about with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year coming out. Yeah. I know he didn't have a great rookie season, but it was the same idea, only a smaller package. Well, he a stat that I think reflected that is that he has the most forced missed tackles at the highest rate among any college running back in the last seven years per PFF. It doesn't shock me, right? I, I, right. I saw you write that stat and it makes perfect sense because that showed up on the tape as well. And what I love, too, is that even though he ran with this physical style and the stat that I wanted to highlight was he's going to enter the NFL with fewer than 400 carries, 366 mm. carries and a total of only 416 touches. Now, that may also speak to the fact that he's not fully developed as a receiver yet, but it also says there's a ton of tread left on his tires. And so you can expect that physicality to be sustained, I think, Liz, because, you know, some guys who are these, you know, the old school power backs from a generation ago. You know, they get two, three hundred carries a year coming to the league with eight, nine hundred thousand carries or touches. And by year three or four, you see that start to drop off a mm-hmm. little bit. I don't think that's going to be the case with him. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that you're mentioning his durability and how, in fact, because this argument could go both ways. I'm thinking about Josh Jacobs again, right? Like he he wasn't the premier back. He wasn't the solely featured back. You know, maybe that's not experience, but also that is less tread, less wear and tear, um, especially at such a volatile position. What did you end up grading him? I gave him a 6.01, which is essentially the cutoff for a first round pick on my board is 6.05. So he was mm-hmm. just shy of a, I think he was my 26th or 7th overall player. So, you know, again, I mean, I, there are 32 picks in round one, so he easily could slip in there, but even with the running back uh, stigma that exists. So, yeah, I, I thought it was basically came down to a little bit of experience and a little bit of a lack of development in the, in the passing game. And who would you see him as? What do you think? Who do you think his ceiling is a comp at the next level? Yeah, so body size-wise and running style-wise, Nick Chubb was the first guy that came mm-hmm. to mind. I don't think he has the long speed that Chubb does. Even you know, even post-knee surgery, Chubb could run a, what was it, a 4-3-9 or whatever he ran coming out. So I, I don't think Williams is going to have just that, that, that extra gear, that home run type speed, but he's going to be essentially like a doubles hitter version of that. And so that still plays in the NFL, as you know. I have Nick Chubb down as well, but yeah. I am hearing these whispers about him maybe being David Montgomery because he, you know, didn't play at Georgia. He, he you know, there was a, a different level of competition that he faced um, because of the lack of experience. Do you put any credence into the David Montgomery at his floor, Nick Chubb at his ceiling argument? Absolutely. No, I think that makes perfect sense. You know, there were there were times when you felt like his vision was maybe something that needed to be developed. Some people will tell you that vision, you either have it or you don't. I don't Hmm. necessarily believe that. I think you can, you know, learn to read your blocks better, read fronts and all that stuff. And the more time you see similar patterns happen, the easier it is to read. So, you know, Montgomery's early in his Iowa State career and his rookie year with the Bears, felt like he was just slamming into the back of his own lineman at times. You you know, yeah. And it was just, well, you, I don't need to tell Bears fan that, right? So, and, and, but last year you saw him pacing better and, you know, tempo was better and letting his blocks develop and things like that. So I think it's a very fair comp. Where do you, where do you want to see him land? Uh, so I'm going to take your, your Najee Harris destination and go with the Dolphins. I mean, you know, just to change it up a little bit, but it sort of fits the mold of, you know, the, the kind of, you know, power back and they can still use those the two Huskies they still have and, you know, <laughs> maybe, you know, uh, pair them up with somebody else. But yeah, I'd like to see Miami because I think that would give them a road to a, to a starting opportunity. You have them somewhere else, though. I have him going to Arizona um, now that Kenyon Drake is officially in Las Vegas. Um, I, I like Chase Edmonds, but I don't think that he will be wholly leaned upon. And I would yeah. like to see that backfield get more physical. Drake has, uh, in fact, we're going to comp somebody a little bit later to Drake. Drake certainly has his appeal, but he doesn't have, what Drake doesn't have is all of the things that Williams does. And I'd like to see maybe uh, more physicality, just 
a toughness come to that entire squad, frankly. And, and so I think that that was why I'd like to see him go there. Uh, if he does, I think, you know, we have to listen to the drumbeat, the Chase Edmonds drumbeat from a fantasy perspective as <laughs> we head into the fall. But I think that I I would probably still, instead of drafting him immediately, anticipate a later flourish from him and therefore wait and blow a bunch of fab on him a couple of weeks in. I think that I think that his unless he were to go to Miami, you know, because we've already talked about how Coach Flo is willing to have an RB1, you know, no questions asked pretty immediately. I think this is a player who is going to come on later on the stretch. But for those people who are high on him and excited and draft him a little bit early at the top of the fantasy season are going to be a little bit frustrated because I don't think it's all going to come together at the NFL level like you're talking about, uh, frankly, uh, until we're maybe, you know, midseason. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you know, again, this is a player who I think is still kind of technically a bit raw. I mean, you know, just by, I mean, he's got the talent to contribute right away. I don't know what kind of role every single Mm. team is going to have in mind for him, but I think that's absolutely fair, especially as he has to pick up any third down duties. You know, everyone says, oh, okay, well, you know, there's a third down back and there's a, that's true. But if one guy gets hurt, the other one has to know the other role as well. So I think they're going to try to throw the kitchen sink at him and let him let him drown a little bit in training camp, no matter where he goes, if you're if you're smart anyway. Yeah. And see how much you can retain. And then you'll find out, OK, here's what we know we can count on day one. Here's what we can we can hope for down the road. Next player up is Travis Etienne, a very exciting player out of Clemson. Interestingly, he's originally from Louisiana, Jennings, Louisiana, to be specific. And when he he was very uh, heavily recruited by LSU, not surprisingly, coming out of high school, and he received quite a few angry missives from some hometown supporters when he decided to instead commit to Clemson. Um, but, you know, I hope they're not so mad anymore because he he did quite a job for the Tigers, the Clemson Tigers, not the LSU Tigers, because he led right. them in rushing as a true freshman in 2017. He was the first Clemson player to win consecutive ACC Player of the Year awards in 2018 and 2019. And that was the first time since uh, the late 70s. And he closed out his career in college as the ACC's leading rusher with over 6,000 scrimmage yards and 77 total touchdowns. Say that number again. 70, what, eight? Uh, over 76? 77 total scores over his career as a Clemson Tiger. I thought it was a mistake for him coming back to school. But when Mm. you think about the video game numbers you can put up and just be an absolute legend, he'll never have to buy a a drink. He made himself some money, right? Oh, right. I mean, look, he he helped his cause. He he made another run at a national title. It didn't work out, but he had a strong year. I know he dropped off a little, but man, 77 touchdowns in a college career. That's that's absurd. It's it's wild. And I think you're word the one word that you want to use to describe him perfectly it fits perfectly especially when you consider his college production what is it yeah he's a dart that's that's my word that comes to mind i mean he's got that kind of slashing running style whatever but the burst and the speed are are completely obvious you know the first time you watch him he he moves at a different uh pace than other people on on uh acc field so yeah he you know, from the fact that he stepped in as a true freshman and played right away and and, and performed well, uh, stepped up his game his second two years, it, it almost felt like he got bigger, faster, and stronger, you know, and it really is impressive to see how fast he can just blast through uh, where defenders aren't even ready to tackle him when he's when he's already hit the hole. I You wrote Dart. I wrote Made You Miss for very similar reasons because yeah. the – uh, the, I guess, dashes of burst and balance, the combination of burst and balance that he has are absolutely incredible. I mean, we're talking about his rushing style here, the the acceleration, the power. Mm-hmm. But I also want to talk about his evolution as a pass catcher. You know, we talked about it earlier with Harris. I thought we were going to talk about ETN a little bit later. But in fact, this was the other player that I wanted to note that had an evolution in his playing style when it came to pass catching. I mean, the, the stat that I had, to I mean, obviously the breakaway speed is, is very impressive. You know, that's the the thing you notice. And, and it shows up, obviously, in the in the stats, too. He had 16 touchdowns in his career of more than 40 yards. Some guys are feel blessed to score 16 in their entire career. 
he has 16 of 40 yards or more. So he is that home run threat. He is what I think the, the previous two backs may not ever quite be. I mean, they may break off an occasional long one, but, you know, ETN is the guy who can, you know, first play off a kickoff, you know, like Javante Williams did in high school, take it the distance. And and that really is going to add uh, a layer of explosion to the next, you know, NFL team he joins. He is 5'10 and 205 pounds. So yeah. Some there's some some worries about his frame. Has that affected your grading at all? Not really. I think if he's used right, I mean, obviously, pretty heavy usage in college. You know, 800 yeah. touches or whatever it was, and and um, you know, th- th- I guess there is the concern about him coming in a little bit banged up and you know a little bit of uh, mileage uh, on on the car or whatever. But you know, you look around the league, and there's there are some sub 200 pound backs who've had successful you know careers. I would I like to see him a little bigger, sure. I don't know how how that would affect his his speed and, and his quickness, but um, yeah, I what think that's a perfect. Pro? Yeah, that's that's an area that he's gotten a lot better in. I don't know that he's going to be, you know, one of the the premier guys in the league when he steps up, but he certainly catches the ball really well. The Notre Dame game really convinced me of it. I mean, you know, I'd seen him make great receptions, but they were always on, you know, screen passes, flare passes, an occasional wheel mm-hmm. route, that sort of thing. You know, he was he was running arrow routes and he was doing stuff over the middle. He made a great third down catch in that in that classic at uh, South Bend the, the first time they met last year. You know, in traffic, getting smashed by a linebacker, converting the first down, having the wherewithal to kind of find the first down marker. I mean, it was just a special play and it always stuck in my head. So he could be a third down back in this league and more, I think. OK, so you don't think he's just limited to being a third down option? I think that's his best role. I mean, I would mm-hmm. love to see him as a change-up running back where, you know, I did feel like last year, you saw his rushing average go down by almost two yards a carry last year. Some of that, in my mind, had to do with Clemson's interior offensive line. Their tackles were fine. Their guards and center were not that great. And it was it was glossed over most of the year because they were, you know, smoking people when Trevor Lawrence was playing. You know, they they lose the game at Notre Dame. That didn't really seem to be an issue then. But by the end of the year, you could tell the interior of that line they got they got mauled, I thought, by Ohio State. And that was pretty clear why he ended up getting bottled up in a lot of games. And I don't think it was because of his lack of, you know, creativity as a runner. So but again, ideally, I, I still would want to cap his touches a little bit and not make mm-hmm. him that that twenty plus guy every single game. And what do you give me a grade and give me a comp? Yeah, so my grade on him was a 5.95. Five. Again, so just a shade lower than, than what we had on Javante Williams. Again, it's mm-hmm. a high second round pick or you know mid to high second round value for the grade. Um, and my comp for him is, is Kenyon Drake. I was just going to say Drake and make a joke about it, but I couldn't think of anything funny. So <laughs> at his best, if you watch his junior tape, and again, it's the reason why I was a little shocked he didn't come out after the 2019 season for last year's draft. My first thought was Jamal Charles, that that explosive, you know, it's like he gains five yards before you even realize he has the ball kind of kind of speed and, and burst. I, I I didn't see as much of that last year. And again, for the reasons we just said, but, you know, there there's some hints to Jamal Charles's game, who's I think one of the more underrated backs in, in NFL history. And but but Kenyon Drake is who you're going to go with. I'm going to go with Kenyon as my my 2020 comp, and that that feels a little more accurate to me. I think Kenyon Drake's a pretty good player, but not a great one, as you kind of outlined. We talked about Arizona earlier. Yeah, I I think that I I like the Kenyon Drake comp for um for ETN very much. I think it's better than my comp. The comp I have is a super high ceiling comp. And you guys, when we talk about comps, also we can't. We're trying to pick big names because yeah. those are the players that most people are familiar with, not some like throwback third string person who might be a perfect <laughs> carbon copy and in a different <laughs> era work out differently. But, um, you know, I'm going to go with Alvin Kamara because I think when you look at Alvin Kamara, you know what he does and you can transfer that knowledge then to ETN. I think that's a very high ceiling. And yep. I would be frankly surprised if ETN were to hit that ceiling. I think that Kenyon Drake is a a better option, but I do think that 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 level that Kamara has, when you talk about the pass catching ability plus the physicality plus the speed that Eric has just outlined, all of those three things are what Etienne and Kamara can both do particularly well. Yeah, 
Uh, and, you know, if Alvin Kamara ended up in Cleveland before they were good, you know, we wouldn't have seen him. It, it has to do a lot with how Sean Payton uses Kamara, right. too, which is, I think, going to be exactly how he's going to be, uh, ETN is going to be used with his next NFL team. Well, and that's kind of why I think that the Saints rival Atlanta Falcons would be very smart to draft ETN because they have a perfect blueprint of how they have gotten smoked consistently with a player who can give it back a little bit. So I'd like to see him land with the Falcons. I love it. They need a back, right? And I've got them later on my list here. But I added Jacksonville, obviously, for fun a little bit, the Trevor Lawrence reunion. That'd be kind of cool. And I think they've they've talked about it a little bit. You know, Jacksonville has the picks. I think they have 25th in round one and then 33rd uh, overall to, to kick off round two. So they're right in where I think he's going to go. I mean, I, I tend to think he may, you know, he may creep into the second round. And if they get past Jacksonville, you know, all bets are off. But Atlanta makes perfect sense to me. And if he were to land in Atlanta or even Jacksonville, uh, honestly, I, I think I would draft him. I don't know if this is a fab pick, even though there's that third down appeal. I just don't think I the difference between I think Javante Williams, for example, the reason I'd wait on fab is because I think he's going to go rounds ahead of ETN in fantasy drafts. And I would be willing like if I could get ETN in like the fifth round of a fantasy draft, I sure. would be especially one that favors PPR scoring as you know, the Yahoo standard is now half point PPR. So I would be willing to draft Travis Etienne in the fifth round because of his explosiveness, because of his explosiveness, and especially if he were to land with the Falcons or even the Jaguars. If you told me he was going to catch 50 passes next year, wouldn't shock me at all. You know, 50 passes for, you know, 500 to 600 yards and four or five touchdowns just in receiving. You know, I mean, that, that's a pretty good start right there. So that makes perfect sense. All right, let's go back to North Carolina and talk about their other running back, Michael Carter. He's originally from Florida, believe it or not, uh, kind of near the Panhandle, near near Georgia in the Panhandle area. Uh, and he went to Navarre High School. As a high school senior, he came back from a right knee injury that ended his junior year early. But he was named the Florida Offensive Player of the Year and committed to UNC Chapel Hill, where he and Javante Williams would make a dynamic smash and dash duo for the Tar Heels. For his part, though, Carter was a finalist for the 2020 Paul Hornig. How do I say that? Paul Horning. Hornig. Okay. Horning. Okay. I I learned it because he he uh, he hit on my mom back in the 60s at a bar <laughs> in Ru- on Rush Street. Yeah, it's true. True story. He and Ray Floyd were at a bar in Rush Street downtown Chicago, and uh, my mom still tells the story. So I've said it probably thousands of times in my life. Keep going. Sorry about that. No, no, I love that. I love that um, Carter was a finalist for the award in which the, uh, that is named after a man that hit on your ma back in the day. Right. He also, this is Carter, not Paul Horning, recorded the eighth most rushing yards in a single season for a UNC running back posting a 1,245 over his final college campaign. Mm. And I love his versatility, Liz. I think that's the one word that, I mean, if you look at his receiving numbers, just his raw numbers, they're not all that impressive. You know, 20, 25 catches per year, 200-ish yards or whatever. But if you watch him catch the football, which I know you have, and I know others people have too as well, he's very natural at it. And there was a lot of mouths to feed in that UNC offense the past couple of years. You know, they they threw the ball a lot. They have two quality wide receivers who are going to be drafted. You know, it. I, I felt like that was an area they should have sort of played up a little bit more. But I love the fact, too, that he can run inside for not a terribly big guy. I mean, he's sort of well-built, but he can run outside. They ran man concepts, zone concepts. He can run back kicks. He can do a lot. I mean, he's he's almost like a, you know, I mean, I, I would say he's sort of a jack-of-all-trades who could do a, a little bit of everything. Not, you know, not maybe at the same level as ETN hmm. catching the football, not the same power as some of the other guys we mentioned, but I think he does everything pretty well. What about you? I like his wiggle. That was what I put down. Yes. I think his change of direction, his shiftiness, his wiggle. I wrote wiggle for days, in fact, was the first thing I wrote down. But he, you're right. He does have that uh, plus ability as a pass catcher. And he's a really good route runner as well. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting here as you're talking about him, you know, kind of being a jack of all trades. I think that that's a really wonderful way to state it. And in fact, I want to jump from the stat that we normally do next to the comp because I, I haven't looked at your comp ahead. And as you're saying that, I want to know who who did you comp him to as, as someone who can do a little bit of everything? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of all over the map with this one, and, Me and, too. and the way I just I, <laughs> we have I just like a saw yours right now. <laughs> yeah, I had to cut and paste my answer in earlier. I didn't notice who you'd written, but yeah, my if I'm going to give him a big ceiling, I know that's kind of what we want to do here. I would say at his very very best, he could be Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. That's big. I get it, but more likely his floor, and I think he's going to be a, just a very solid to very good player would be somewhere in that Daryl Henderson, Chase Edmonds kind of role. And, you know, again, I mean, not every back gets the opportunity to be featured. So, you know, you don't land in Green Bay. Maybe Aaron Jones has become quite that good. But, yeah, I, I think he's he's got some overlap to some of those guys. He's sort of built like Chase Edmonds. And he reminded yeah. me of him a little bit coming out. I think Daryl Henderson makes a lot of sense, too. I mean, yeah. this is one of those players that, again, you know, you were saying a little bit of everything, which – of the things are you going to focus on when you write down the number one comp? Because, right. I, you know, it, it, it's not every player can do all of the things at the elite level, which is why they become such big names and such big stars. And you're right, maybe they do land in Green Bay and are featured. But, I, you know, I've seen Dalvin Cook. I don't think that's right. I've seen Duke Johnson. I don't think that's right. I've seen Kareem, I've seen Kareem Hunt. And I don't know if that's just frankly because of, like, the senior bowl, you know, he did really well at the senior bowl and so did Hunt and that improved his stock. Um, for me, I kept coming back to Devonta Freeman. I think he's a more athletic, a, a faster, more explosive Devonta Freeman, but he yeah. still has that um, ability to scan the field, ability to work as a pass catcher, but also a toughness Absolutely. that you wouldn't always expect from a back who catches as well as he does. Hundred percent. I think that's you know people look at oh he's he's a five seven two hundred two pound back. Okay, I know what he is. No, you don't. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you've seen him, Devontae Smith is the same way. He came out. He was barely five foot eight. You know, he had this little sort of Tommy gun build or whatever, and he was a tough son of a gun. He he could have yeah. been you know MVP of that Super Bowl if they stopped you know if they kept giving him the ball. But yeah, I I, I love that. In fact, I think that's the 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 best of this group of 19 names we just threw out there. I think that's the one I would go with. <laughs> All like right. It. Well, that's where we're going to go. What's, what's, give me one interesting stat that further helps illustrate Carter's ability. Yeah, we talked about ETN earlier, how his rushing average actually fell off last year. Carter had his best season on a per-touch basis last year. He was eight yards per carry running the ball, 10.7 catching the ball. And, you know, it just sort of felt like, Obviously, it's nice to have a running mate. Javante Williams helped yeah. to, you know, take some of the the tread, you know, the the tough carries inside. But as you said, that toughness is absolutely there with with Carter. He can he can bury his head and and knock a linebacker over or safety or whatever. But he also is always falling forward. He has a great sort of sense of where he is on the field. He's got that little burst to get around the edge. And those numbers back it up. You don't average eight yards a carry and get as many touches as he did and, and not be pretty talented at that. Yeah. And and his um it's the burst again. It I mean he for me, twenty nine carries of fifteen plus yards per PFF. Nice. That was RB one per PFFs in this statistical category. So yeah, I, I'm like the more we're talking about him because, you know, also like I feel like I don't know how you do it because you also have defensive players to dig into. But at a certain <laughs> point, you're like, well, what does this guy do? And and I feel like Carter gets a little bit muddied because he doesn't, you know, you think of Harris, you're like, oh, I know what he is. He's the super productive one. And, and then right. uh, Williams has got the smash and, and Etienne is the burst. And then you get to Carter and you're like, ah, I can't think of the one thing. And so he doesn't come top of mind most immediately. But as we're discussing him, I am liking him more and more. And I'm thinking more and more about a fantasy project. And while I think he will probably be drafted behind Javante Williams, I'll let you mm-hmm. expound on that a little more. I think he'll be drafted behind, but I think for fantasy purposes, I would probably prefer to lean into the value that Carter is likely to present. Where are you grading him? And then tell me where you think he'll go. Yeah, I believe I gave him a grade of 5.79, which for my scale would basically be like a low second, high third round grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, you know, he may get drafted a little bit later than that. I think I have him number 79 overall on my board. So, you know, there's also a, hey, he's a jack of all trades, but is he special at any one thing? Maybe the pass catching ability. That may be the one thing he can kind of hang his hat on. Um, and that's honestly why I sort of thought about where he might fit best. And, and that's, I think, where I kind of, I put oh, wow. that as his premier, you know, I thought Tennessee Titans would be a good spot for him because 
you got to be tough to, to run for Mike Vrabel. You got to have that. He's got it. But they lack that. Remember, Deion Lewis was getting a ton of carries under Mike LaFleur. They were like basically mm. splitting carries with Derrick yeah. Henry when he was there. It was bizarre. Obviously don't have anything close to that now, but I'd love to see that more back and bounce. They lost Jonu. They lost Corey Davis. They need weapons. They need to throw the ball to running back. Only 38 catches, Liz, by Titans running backs last year. That's got to improve. They have to have somebody to catch the ball, and I think he'd be a great fit there. Well, after hyping up this player, I hope for fantasy reasons he does not go to Tennessee because then I am definitely <laughs> not leaning into all of the value that he could present uh, right, because true, there's just true. not enough there. Very true. Um, but I, w- I might... I, I I like this pick. Like I'd love to see him go to Denver. I am really leaning into Denver as an option. Sure. No Philip Lindsay, right? And Melvin Gordon continues to be their workhorse, but also he's getting older and older. Has a history of knee issues. Now those hasn't haven't surfaced as much recently, but the possibility still is there as he's aging. And we know that Vic Fangio is a, def- a defensive minded uh, head coach, which could lean towards using a running back a little bit more. And Lord, mm-hmm. uh, there are plenty of pass catchers in Denver. Absolutely. But please, Drew Locke needs all the help he can get. If we can get that kid to check down, then <laughs> I think that maybe yes. you can <laughs> I mean like maybe you draft Carter so that you can say to Drew Locke, this is it. Like, this is the moment. You need him. We got you all of the things. Check down, and then it's a win-win. So if he lands in an ideal spot, like a Denver or whatever, where, where are you Where are you thinking about him in a draft? Are you – because I know you said there might be some sort of hidden value there. He might be a little bit overlooked. Where, where do you think you'd consider taking him? Well, I, I mean, it's always tough in, in fantasy drafts. Like, if, I feel like if I can get him as my RB4 – then maybe I'll do it. Right. Like RB4, do, I think he has the potential to touch the ball 12 to 14 times, maybe not yep. immediately in Denver. Like probably if I'm being asked draft or fab, I would probably advise people to fab because I'm not right. sure how quickly he's going to pop. However, I might break my own rule because I believe in his talent so much that I would take him like as an RB4 and and risk the stash and risk it not happening. But if I'm advising, I'd say, you know, probably probably you'll get this guy blowing money on Fab versus waiting for him to blow up because we're not quite sure when that would happen. And, and you have to understand, Liz, I, I'm, I've am i now whittled down to only two fantasy leagues. That's all I've got. I can't do okay. any more. It's like I'm not taking on any new leagues. I just don't have the time. So uh, I'm, one of them is Charles Robinson, Yahoo writer, obviously. 20-team mm-hmm. league, ridiculous. So Michael Carter will be like a fourth-round pick. I'm kidding. But, you know, he's going to get drafted, right? The other one's a 14-team league. So, like, all these guys, they're, like, right in my wheelhouse. They're right, like, when the other guys are tapping out, you know, they're watching the game. They, they, don't, they put it mm-hmm. on auto-draft. I'm scooping up all the Michael Carters of the world. Well, I think you might want to add Trey Sermon out of yeah. Ohio State to your list because I was so glad that you also had them. So, as Eric and I were, like, discussing which of these prospects to discuss on the show – um, I had uh, Trey Sermon as my RB5, and I was like, well, I don't know. A lot of people like Chubba, and we will talk about Chubba on another episode. Don't worry, all you truthers. He will not be ignored or overlooked. But I have Sermon ahead of him, and I believe you do as well. So that's why we decided to end on this note. Um, what can we talk about? What can we say? What's a good uh, – I mean, Sermon to me is fascinating because – His career has taken, even at this stage, so many twists and turns, you know, from Georgia, then Oklahoma, ended up in Ohio. I don't know most people who start in Georgia and then go to Oklahoma and then, you know, head due north for Ohio. He's got an interesting story, no doubt about it. And, and, you know, it was it was obviously a lot of, uh, you know, things that kind of were thrown his way a little bit. Some of it may have been on his head as well. He, you know, he basically got into Lincoln Riley's doghouse at some point. Um, wasn't exactly Boom clear among to us, me. really. Boom among us. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's. I mean, and then even even last season, Liz, after he transferred as a grad transfer to Ohio State, basically Ohio. I mean, Oklahoma sort of let him know that he could he could look around. Yeah. Um, you know. He got there, and he and his running back coach, a guy who recruited him originally out of high school, they were not on speaking terms at one point this year. It was very bizarre, and I still haven't gotten the full story behind that. But Hmm. things obviously changed by the end of the year, and he really broke out down the stretch. So, yeah, you're right. He's The one word that I came up with was confounding because 
There are times when he looked like one of the best two or three backs in the country. There were other times when, you know, he was a ghost and he just, you know, he had the, you know, he would just sort of disappear for stretches and you you kind of wonder what was actually going on. So he was a tricky evaluation, but I ended up liking him. What was the one word? Well, you said confounding was the one yeah. word that came to mind. For me, it was determined, not just because of the detoured route that his pre-NFL career um, withstood, but also because of that damn stiff arm. Like, I think yeah. that he has one of the most punishing stiff arms you are ever going to see. Like, yes, strong and powerful. Yes, balanced. But that stiff arm and all of these play, right? All of the running backs that we're talking everyone has a stiff arm. Most of them have a spin move. It's in, It's no longer like a thing. But some of them have those particular skills at peak. And I think that, um, for me, Sermon's stiff arm is one of the I have definitely when watching tape going to like, oh, ow, oh, you know, like makes you yep. makes you flinch a little bit. Yeah. Oh, no doubt about it. And he and he he turns the corner better than you think, too. I mean, he's got a little, a little yeah. burst to him. He's not you know, the testing speed is never going to really, truly show, you know, his full value or whatever. But yeah, when he's healthy, I mean, I I don't think Ohio State beats him if he doesn't get hurt on the first play. I still would have liked to see what he could have done against Alabama, though. Um but it was just, you know, it was just another chapter in his story where you say to yourself, I wonder what a fully healthy, fully focused, fully on track version of this player could have been. And I even had to go back and watch 2018 tape to remind me of who he was a couple of years ago at, at, you know, peak performance, I guess you'd say. So the whole thing is is a little, a little fascinating, but it, it's crazy still to think, and this is the, the interesting stat that I found. 17.7% of his career rush yards came in the final two games prior to the national title game, Northwestern and Clemson, you know, 500 plus yards combined in those two games. He was, he was the reason they won. I mean, obviously Justin Fields against Ohio state was, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, against um, Clemson rather was a right. special tape. He was great, but they don't get there without Trey Sermon. He had the, the game against Northwestern that propelled him into that game. And, you know, it's flashes like that that I can't get out of my head. I also think that he is good at things that don't necessarily, outside of that stiff arm, pop on tape. For instance, this stat, uh, over four seasons at Oklahoma and Ohio State, 500 touches and just three fumbles. That's also, great. Also, solid marks in pass pro, which is very yep. important for freshman first-year running backs in the NFL because that's what gets them on the field, and that's always what we want in fantasy. Are they any good at pass pro? Can they get on the field immediately and help make that fantasy impact pretty quickly? Um, per PFF, 241 snaps, nine QB pressures, and one sack allowed over his career. Wow. Very impressive, yeah. I, I remember watching him. I'm trying to think of the game against uh, uh, when he was at Oklahoma where he was lined up to the quarterback's right, and you could see him kind of look out the uh, side of his eye. He could feel the blitz from the safety coming. He actually he ducks underneath as the snap is coming in, picks up the blitz. You know, he wasn't perfect at it, but you saw things like that that said he's got the fearlessness, he's got the will, the mm -hmm. want to. I'll take him on my team, and he could do that for me. Yeah, I, I like that. Who? How did you grade him, and how are you comping him? And or I should say, how did you grade him, and to whom are you comping him? Yes, I, I comped him to. Or my first of all, my grade is a five point eight three, which is a second round grade. I don't think he'll go that high, uh, and that and that grade probably ignores some of the character stuff because I wasn't able to verify things. I wasn't able to get the background on that. Had I learned different information, maybe it's a tad lower. So this is the player. You know, this is who I think he could be in the NFL in the right situation. I don't necessarily think he'll have a long career, but when he plays, I think he'll play well. So that's kind of where I came with up with that. Yeah. And style-wise, he's he's sort of a poor man's Joe Mixon or a J.K. Dobbins. Now, granted, those are Oklahoma and Ohio State running backs, so maybe I'm <laughs> biased by that. I don't know, but... Those are those are some guys who similar body sizes, just not quite as athletic. I don't think. I, you know, I had trouble with this one. I I had Chris Carson for a minute. Um, I like Chris Carson though. When we were discussing, you're right. He doesn't quite have the um, the dog in him that Carson has on the field, at least. Yeah. Um, but I I had previously to Seattle resigning Carson thought that it would be a nice fit. The Seahawks would be a nice fit. 
mm-hmm. for Sermon. Um, so I was sticking to that comp. But I think the I also wrote um, a smaller a smaller Mixon or a more timid Chris Carson. And I don't mean I like timid it. in any way that's going to get me in trouble. I just you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you covered your I, bases beautifully. I knew exactly what you meant, right? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think Joe Mixon is is a good... We're both seeing a lot of the mix. And the J.K. Dobbins is interesting because he, too, a lot of people don't talk about it, was graded quite highly in pass pro coming out of college. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you, you play for Ryan Day, I mean, and, and Urban Meyer before him. They, yeah. they, they, would, they would have typically five maybe six man protection so that back was often facing an extra rusher and they had to square up and hit him that's that's what they learned to do ideal landing spot here i've got the giants i know that's not exactly what you think of because saquon barkley is there but he's obviously you know he's a player with some injury risk huge uh, injury risk as well uh, and the fact that he's going to be a free agent in the 2022 offseason i sort of felt like i could see sermon slipping like if you told me today that he's going to end up being drafted in the fifth round. It wouldn't totally stun me. I think he'll end probably be more of a third, fourth round pick, but with running backs, you never know. And so if it gets to a value point and they're saying, boy, this guy, you know, if we just decide to let Saquon go, let's say he would be an interesting sort of insurance policy, I guess. So I'm kind of cheating a little bit and that wouldn't give him much fantasy value. And, you know, your suggestions seem to offer a little bit more, 2021 upside, I think. I am going to admit that I wasn't as aware of the character concerns, which is why I wanted you to dig into and present the background about Sermon a little bit more. And I do do hear you, though, because we've seen other players, and I don't want to mention their names because I don't want to compare their situations or make assumptions, but we've seen other players kind of, as they're falling, everybody's saying, well, why is this? We don't understand what, and you know, clearly scouts are talking and it's a small community, especially in a year where there hasn't been as much travel. I imagine that the game of television phone is that much um, more a piece of this process. So I, if he does fall to like a fourth round, I mean, I could see Seattle, in fact, having him as insurance behind sure. Chris Carson because of Carson's durability issues and Carson's only, I believe, on a one-year deal. Otherwise, I thought Pittsburgh, because Pittsburgh has, again, so many holes to fill no and doubt. the value that they could get with Sermon and because of the chippiness, you know, like... Neither of those franchises, Pete Carroll loves maybe a a strong personality, shall we say. Pete Carroll isn't necessarily turned away by a a strong personality. And uh, I don't see the, I think there's a match here with um, the Steelers organization as well. This is not, the Steelers have never had trouble, um, at least, well, they've had trouble in the locker room, but they haven't had trouble inviting more trouble into the locker room. Let's say right. <laughs> it's never right. scared them off. So I think one of those two teams would make um, a good fit. And I could imagine, I do think you're right that, you know, Steelers could move on from James Conner. This is probably a player, though, that I would not draft and expect, though, that I would spend some fab on later on later in the year. I do think especially, we should talk about this for a minute, if the NFL adds the extra game as we are expecting they will and right. players um, break down, especially at the running back position, more earlier in the season, then I do think Sermon will at some point hit, but I don't think he's a player that I'm going to draft in August anticipating week one numbers. Well, look at Ohio State, right? He comes in, he really didn't have you know, a great sort of start to his career there. It was a little bit of a question of, was this a mistake? You know, is he going to get the same sort of feature role? He was getting 11, 12, right. 8, 9 carries a game. And then all of a sudden, the, the Big Ten title game comes around and he's a workhorse again. Without those two games, really, honestly, I don't think we're probably discussing him in this. And I don't mean the talent would be any different, but the opportunity wouldn't have been given to him, you know, and it would have affected his draft stock, no doubt in my mind. So, the fact that he was able to earn those extra carries down the stretch, I think, did wonders for his uh, his potential to be drafted maybe on day two, but possibly early on day three. Well, Eric and I hope that this first episode of the Rookie Snapshot series does wonders for your fantasy potential as you are building your portfolio heading into the fall. Eric and I will be back for another Rookie Snapshot next Thursday where we talk everybody's favorite position wide receivers. And this year's class, I don't need to tell you, Eric doesn't need to tell you, is loaded. So 
Be on the lookout for that. Follow us on Twitter. In the meantime, at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Eric underscore Edholm. And be sure to follow the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty. Follow also Posted Up with Chris Haynes for all things NBA. For right now, though, we are out.